Welcome to Know Your Options, the Measured Risk Podcast. The ultimate guide to navigating the volatile nature of the markets while managing risk purposefully. Join us as we challenge the theory behind traditional asset allocation and dive into the mathematics of investing. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out, this podcast offers valuable insights and practical advice to help you make informed decisions and manage your money wisely. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of calculated risks together. Well, my name is Larry Kriesmer, and I've got my partner here, Bernard Sorofsky. Our guest today is Joseph Pons, founder of Technomart Investment Advisors, which was founded in 1979. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Thank you. So, Joseph, tell us a little bit about your journey into the financial advisory business. Well, just briefly speaking, uh, I came to this country after high schools. I enrolled in colleges, and eventually I ended up in New York working for a firm that was close to Wall Street in New York City. And in order for me to advance my lifestyles, uh, I decided to increase my education into the financials. And slowly, I started becoming a trader and found out uh, that the achievement in the field of the finance would be the one to take. Especially, I started with a market letter named Shortex by selling just short positions. And then later on, I expanded it into uh, long positions and short positions. Then I realized that I could do well, uh, just not by myself, but also maybe others as well. So I started managing the accounts, uh, forming a company in 1979 named Technomart Investment Advisors. Now, where did you come from? You said you came to America from you know, after high school. Where, where, where did you grow up? Well, I came from Iran, Tehran, Iran. And as a young child, I had lost my parents at the younger ages. So therefore, there was nothing for me there. And I wanted to expand not only my education, but lifestyle as well. So I decided to immigrate through the student visa uh, into the United States. Wonderful. You know, as an immigrant myself, I feel that, you know, we, we, meaning you and I, bring a particular perspective into the United States that sometimes people who grew up here just don't have. You know, we, we get to realize what this country has to offer and, and have, have a very high degree of appreciation for that. So I'm always fascinated to, to hear stories in particular of, of immigrants who've come here and, you know, made a life for themselves. You know, and it sounds like in your situation, especially with, it, you, know, you, know, that's, you know, losing your parents early on, that's, that's quite a setback. Um, yeah, yeah. What is it about this business that frustrates you the most? Are there any aspects that you'd like to delve into on that? But what are your frustrations with, with this business? Well, it is ups and downs, of course. When you manage other people's money, the responsibility is greater. And of course, uh, the marketplace, as we have, has a moving characteristics. In other words, in the past 30 years or so that I have been in this business, I can see the changes in the marketplace as a whole, especially with the advent of the internet and more entrants and more structural vehicles that has been come up in the Wall Streets has encouraged the worldwide attention to the market. So markets of this size always brings in ups and downs you have commentators into the television, just as yours, that they express their interpretations and that the holders of the positions in the stock market, of course, 
brings in ups and downs, anxieties, and the cheers as you go forward. So what are some of the ways that you deal with the, you know, all that volatility and stuff? I mean, I, I'm thinking of that Farsi saying, I, I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly, but it's something like Indik Spogzarad, you know, meaning this too shall pass. Um, and again, yeah. I, I, I'm sure that I butchered the, say, the pronunciation, but what are some of the, the techniques that you adopt to try and manage that volatility aspect that you were just mentioning? Yes, uh, let me explain that my strategy is uh, unique and only specified for a different classes of investors. So it is not a vanilla type of the average of the brokerage firms or the uh, advisory services that you see day by day. Our strategy is based on increasing of assets rather than specifically state on the returns. So our accounts or our uh, clients do understand that our intent is to increase the assets, hopefully, with the potential of two uh, double-digit, triple-digit in a time frame of five years. And so in doing so, we don't do any trades. Specifically, when we take the positions for the clients, we try to, un- to make them to understand that our strategy includes uh, long positions with accumulations of also side of short positions and a percentage of the total assets. Now, bear in mind, you cannot short in all the accounts because you have 401ks, you have the IRAs, and there are also other uh, clients who do not want to have short positions. So just briefly speaking with you, uh, high accounts, the high network accounts are eligible for the short position as we do. And our short position is completely different than the average short sellers on, on the streets. Normally, what we do is we take perhaps 10 or 20% of the total assets of that client, hoping to increase their assets. So we commit 10 or 20% to large cap stocks that they cannot be acquired or they don't have the potential of being acquired or being squeezed. And we will keep those long those, those shorts for the long terms, not just to take a profit or losses of two points or three points. The proceeds that we get from those short positions, we diverted to the long positions into the portfolio, companies with the enormous potentials of growth and also innovations. And we maintain that short positions as a hedge in the kinds of the market that we have today. That's for the peoples who cannot, who, who, who can solicit our services for short positions for them. For non-short positions, so such as 401ks, IRAs and others, we increase the positions. Normally, if I can get a number in my figures, which is very simple to do, let's say is a million dollars, we try to provide positions within the one million between 18 and 25 positions. And normally those positions could vary from 50,000 to 80,000 each. And our intent is to increase that 50,000 triple digits and that 80,000 triple digits or more. Now, kind of the market that we have, as you have been witnessing, is a very good example of our success because most brokerage firms or others or other advisors in our judgment from the what we hear from their accounts that come forward to us, they keep on switching and trading 
And normally, they have a difficult time to maintain consistency in order to be able to increase the asset value. But in the kind of the market that we have, we have managed to increase the asset value, let's say the five years ago accounts, that they have enormous amount of the power in their portfolio to weather the storm of this downtrend. We have no intention of selling them with the idea that we can come back at the lower price. Unless there is something wrong with the positions, then of course we will dispart of it. When you talk about being short positions, are you using it in a, are you actually selling some positions short literally, or do you use any kind of option strategies to create short exposure? No options. Just strictly the company. I, I don't want to mention the name, but however, a large company that has enormous amount of the shares that you don't have the problem to replace them or right. cover them. And we take an aggregate, let's say, uh, close to $80,000, let's say $100,000 worth of that company short position. So we are yeah. staying short of 100000 That 100000 will be diverted to another company that has a growth rate that we hope to potentially increase that 100000 to, let's say, 300000 When we get to that point, we'll cover that short. I think well, so. It's, so it's kind of like a, it's almost like a like a balancing act in a sense. We're a pair, using, trade. a pair. That's right. Right. Yeah. So on the drawdown risk, I mean that's one the big thing we're dealing with right now. Joseph is people suffering the traditional movement of stocks and bonds, expecting bonds to soften up the downside uh, movement. I can see how obviously a short position would have a superior you know, impact in a negative market. But is there, what if your pairs aren't paired up properly? Did you get, I mean, there must be some experience, you've been doing this for a long time, where those pairs didn't, you know, didn't zig and zag in the appropriate way. How do you handle those? Well, there's always anxieties, no questions. If we, we use bonds completely differently, we use bonds as also a hedge. We do understand that whenever you have interest rate increases, the principle of the bonds will, of course, come down. But the extent of those bonds uh, coming down is not as much as, let's say, actual owning of the shares that they have been uh, struck by earnings problems or other other problems in, in the field. Now, uh, granted that the bonds value will come down, of course, I, I wanted to specify, we don't, uh, we don't anticipate, or at least we don't participate in obtaining of any junk bonds or any other bonds that they give you extremely high rates, uh, we try to just maintain the portfolios with the bonds with a sort of a, a hedge again in this kind of the market, just in case uh, that the markets would fall down. Now, granted, uh, our positions of the sell-off in the market is quite different. I really have written a book on this in April of 20. Wiley being the publishers, and I have a specified a chapter just strictly on what I'm going to say, that the hedge funds, high-frequency traders, institutionals, and all the high traders departments of the brokerage firms really are the vehicles for the movement of the market ups and downs. And what you see right now <laughs> hitting the market is basically is done by them. They have capability. They have equipment and they have money to do trades in nanoseconds, something that the average customers, our average clients, average investors 
do not have. And they have ability of the options and the options that they can write. They can actually uh, move the market with a terminology called spoofing and scalping, which is spoofing means feeding the market with the heavy orders that they cannot be just uh, identified. And of course, uh, scalping, which having is a really, in my judgment, and as I have written in the book, is a naked short selling. And that's the reason why we are having this problem today, that it cannot be justified and sort of related to the average people are selling. So, so my vehicle is, is a really astute uh, performance of these kinds. And I just can tell you that in 2008, the era that we had in the market. So I, I, I was successful in the short selling on, that, on, on those years to a point that in 2011, uh, Bank of England uh, invited me to come to England, to London, and uh, present as a keynote speaker my strategy on the sh- short selling. Uh, the audience were very much the, uh, the, the high court of England, uh, which is for some similar to the, our Supreme Court, and they were trying to legislate a short-selling uh, vehicle, and I was trying to, to provide them some advice uh, that I wasn't allowed to go. But anyhow, I just wanted to mention that to you. In your view, if you're going to change something in, in our industry, would you, you know, do away with electronic trading or how do you think is there any way to con- control that or is it just well hard to- I, I don't think so i think uh, is byproducts would be the kinds of the problem we have with uh, bitcoin and other things that the regulatory agencies of ours uh, are just not fast enough it's difficult to say because it's a hindsight i'm, I'm sure they have in their staff people who are very much thinking the the likes of me or maybe many others uh, that they have uh, so it's very difficult to control it that's why i don't do trading that's why i told to my clients that the stocks or the positions that i have in your portfolios are fine companies for these natures and it's very possible for the fine companies and others to have hiccups to have headwinds so therefore you just have to go through with it stay with them if you have extra money you should be adding into it on the turnaround and it's always going to be turnaround and a good example of it is the 70s and also the, the 2008 in the 80s and 2008 was a very good example of it, and 2001, exactly. And so is right now. Not all these big companies, big caps, who have some sort of innovations or some product or some market shares that can be capitalized and can be maintained are going to go zero. So therefore, this trading or getting out and getting something else, which is you don't have any reason that there's something else could do any better, and there is no consistency will only do damage to the investor by making the portfolio smaller and smaller and smaller. And the total risk is enormous when you sell something and avoiding the, the void of a tax that you have to pay all that. Then you have to get something else with it, which would be high risk because if that one drops like 5 or 10%, you will be forced to sell out again. So so it's very difficult to say, to answer you, that you could stop it by the computers. I don't think so. You know, Warren Buffett always says, you know, he looks for companies that have a, you know, proverbial moat. And, you know, and he talks about the idea of, you know, will the company be dominant in 50 years? Do you have any kind of screening questions you like to 
put a company through before you even consider looking at it or putting it into your portfolio? Of course. I mean, we, we, we rely heavily on a technical picture of that company. Uh, without a technical picture, we seldom purchase a company. And, and I'm going to give you an example. For example, I don't know if you can see back of me or no. I guess I just cut it off. But anyhow, if you right now get a technical picture of Dow Jones averages, that would be a very good example to give the audience an indication. Dow Jones companies are 30 companies, and they accumulately, they earn close to $1,500 per share. Now, if you give it a multiple of 21, so the Dow Jones averages should be around three, 33,000 and some change. Now, I've been tracing the Dow Jones movement since the, the downfall we have had in 22. As formed a, a chart pattern called death cross. A death cross meaning that the 50-day moving averages falls below the 200-day moving averages. And they have been sinking or trading in that pattern since last year uh, till maybe about a two or three or two months ago or maybe a month ago. Now, that pattern has the 50-day moving averages has been climbing and has formed what they call golden cross. Golden cross meaning that the natural way of the trading is coming to 33,000 to Dow Jones averages. So right now we are above the four major averages only transportation, Dow Jones transport, and Dow Jones uh, averages, and that recently in the past week or so, S&P 500 has managed. Com uh, the composite, the NASDAQ composite, is approaching the upper leg of the death cross. So these are important. As the down market that we have had almost one year, if you look into the averages, the averages are not down that much. You have 33,000 for the, the Dow Jones, which is the high has been 38,000, something in that line. And S&P is around uh, 3,000 or so. The averages has been uh, 4,400. So, uh, even uh, NASDAQ is only in the 11,000. The high has been 14,000. But the transportation is the most important uh, in indicators of the market movement has almost is gone up to 14,000 or so, which is close to its high of 15,000. These are important. If you go back in 2008, the Dow Jones averages were 6,000. So these are the numbers. So really, we don't have a chaos in the market, except, as I indicated below, is being done by the manipulator, in my judgment. I, I can't prove it, but, but I'm calling it a method of the to today's technology by the high-frequency traders, and institutionals and the brokerage firms themselves in order to increase the value of their earnings by trading daily, secondly, in nanoseconds to get the cash flows into the company's poker. What is there, a, what, is there anything in your strategy that keeps you up at night? I am, I'm used to it. Of course, <laughs> you know, we are human being and uh, there are times that uh, you would think anxiety in there. But uh, uh, I think that patience is the vehicle for the market, for the investors to make money. The short-term ideas to make rich yesterday, it doesn't work. Uh, you have to have patience and you have to go through these dilemmas. And, uh, and this, this one will pass 
But however, we have more commentators today. We have more people with a different interpretations. Uh, I forgot to make mention to you, any institutionals can pay uh, maybe half a million dollars to uh, research centers and try to tell them to bring in earning forecasts for this particular company. And that particular company, they, they can write up a forecast with the estimated earnings of, let's say, $2.30 per shares. And the company comes in with $2.10 shares per shares. It gives them a vehicle to short sell or to short sell that, that stock or selling it rough with massive amount of the money and there is nothing you can do about it. Yeah, so, so you mentioned that your firm doesn't use options and, you know, that, and you're quite clear on that. So you like to have the clear, pure exposure, but you know, clearly you have a slightly different management style to most other people, you know, because I talk about generally this genesis of coming from, you know, back in the day, you buy individual stocks and then it morphed over to mutual funds and then ETFs can, you know, became more kind of in, in vogue. And now we're seeing this progression of different products and services, but, from what, as best as I can tell, you're, you're dealing in individual securities, correct? You're not using indexes per se, or do you even, or do you like to use indexes uh, sometimes? Of course, we, we try to customize the portfolio for the clients. There are some clients who would also like to have some mutual funds in their portfolios and some ETFs in their portfolios. We, of course, entertain them. Not, not, but not as a vehicle, but ba- basically uh, we like to have some of those in their portfolios in order to bring in the risk to the likes of that particular client. About the use of uh, structured notes, is that something that has come across your desk and you've looked at? Element of the risk is enormous in some of those notes. And for that reason, we are we stay away. We have stayed away from Bitcoin. We have stayed away from the, the uh, any kinds of the vehicle that has not had any regulations or at least being under any regulatory agencies of a kind and that has the appetite of getting rich quick. And I think we have proven to be correct. And on the... The bonds then that you're purchasing, as what percentage of that is corporate bond versus, say, a government bond, or is it all government or all corporate? Uh, it's mixed. Uh, I would say uh, we try to rely heavily on government bonds, municipal bonds of the Class A rated states, and the regular bonds of the uh, also Class A rated corporations. Corporates, as I indicated before, any one of those vehicles that provides you with a high interest rate, we stay away. So this idea of stretching for yield, you know, it's funny. Larry and I have had more than one experience where the idea of stretching for yield has always, if you do it, invariably it'll come back and sting you, you know, because there's a there's a there's an offsetting risk that you might not even be aware of, you know, when you when you kind of stretch beyond. Uh, you know what's generally available in the marketplace, but uh, an interesting that's an interesting observation there. Well, if you were to talk to your younger self today, what advice would you give yourself in terms of pitfalls that you might otherwise have been able to avoid, or opportunities that you might have seized sooner? You know, what what advice would the would the older Joseph be giving to the younger Joseph? I would try to encourage them to whatever amount of the money that they have that uh, to divide to be sort of a, a sort of uh, diversified by at least putting, let's say, 60% of the amount of the money into high growth companies that have been established and they have particular market shares established for years. 
the other 40 percent, I will I will try to tell them to combine some ETFs, the well-known ETFs, and some mutual funds as well, and keep at least 20 percent cash in case the market drops, just like what we have, that you have able money to put in back into the sort of a broken down of those big caps that you have purchased within the 60%. And then any additional money you have, and put it in there and stop trading. Do not trade just because advice is coming in to you through the media and others that you can enrich your multiples by 60% and so on and so on and so on. It will not work out. And eventually, it will fall off because consistency is not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. You know, it's something people have to learn the hard way oftentimes. You know, everything's great until it isn't, and then they, you know, run for the hills. That's so about, you know, keeping people focused within what they do. Joseph, where do you custody your, your assets? I uh, use a, a, can I name the name of the company? Oh. Oh, no, you uh, can't, Larry? Mostly is a various one, but mostly at TD Ameritrade. Yeah. That's pretty common. What's your take on the transfer to Schwab here that's coming up? Are things going your way or any concerns about that? Not really, because, again, they both are in the same boat. They both are uh, well capitalized. Uh, They have done well. So I've been with them almost uh, 30 years on the the major one. Now, granted, there are some clients who are uh, non-discretionary, and they prefer their own uh, uh, their own uh, custodians could be uh, Fidelity, or could be Goldman Sachs, or others. We entertain that as well. But I really like to just uh, say it's very important for the, any beginners to to have their money custodian to one of these big names that I just indicated. Yeah, I have a personal history with my family. Also, you wouldn't notice it from my face, but I was born in the Middle East, grew up in Saudi Arabia, and so. I have also a little different uh, take on maybe a traditional looking exposure. And my family suffered from a financial advisor up in the Bay Area in California that uh, went toes up in the late 80s. And that was a good lesson. It was there's just a lot more risk involved with an advisory relationship where statements are coming from the advisor as opposed to statements coming from a custodian. So good point of reference for risk management. Um, a little bit about your your process here. Uh, this is clearly your firm and your baby. Uh, have you, I assume you've developed a trading uh, committee now that you've got behind you? Uh, I, as I indicated, we do not hold any assets of the clients. Everything is done to the custodian of the type that I just indicated. The statement comes from them. We do not do trading at all, very seldom. I mean, if we do a trading, uh, I would say is a reason. Uh, we do all at once at one time. And uh, we just these ups and downs in the market that you hear every day, unless there's something wrong with a company and we, f- we follow the trading pattern or the technical pictures that I just indicated, and otherwise, we just do not do the trading. So therefore, we don't have a staff of a high traders as you would find in other advisory services. Interesting. Well, how about regulatory environment? Any any thoughts about what's been happening with the you know you know we've had 
on the one hand, it seems like the SEC is um, was unable to see certain bad behavior patterns. And on the other hand, it seems like they're getting into almost every part of our business and what we can and can't say and things we have to disclose or not disclose. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm glad that you indicated that our, our method uh, really resolves that. We don't do that much of a, tra- a churning or things in that line because we don't really know how the uh, the, the regulatory agencies' environment works. All, all I know is that they are subject to the budget. And when they have a budget, of course, they get fees like SEC. They get fees from the transactions and so on and so on. Uh, I don't want to say that they have enough money when there. But most of their members, since I have been doing this business, are very, mostly our ex-brokers anyway, or mostly the, the lawyers who are all in the field. But it's a hindsight. I don't think that SEC was in a position to perhaps think of the uh, Bitcoins becoming a vehicle as such. And maybe it was too late. But I I, I do admit that today's uh, SEC's head uh, is looking into the benefit or at least into the uh, well-beings of the investors uh, much better than lessons that the ones that I remember in the past, that I can say that. But other than that, really, I'm not in a position to judge uh, what goes in the minds of the environment, any environment or any regulatory agencies at all, except they themselves and, of course, the act of the Congress in that matter. What is the name of the book that you wrote? You mentioned earlier that that you wrote a book. What is the name of that book? My my book is Short Selling for the Long Term by Joseph Parnes and you can go online and Amazon's uh, processing it and uh, Wiley, the publisher, also processes it. And in writing that book, I, I imagine it gave you a fair amount of, of time to really delve into your process. I mean, I, what, the- I sort of uh, describe in the book uh, all acts of the transactions and the market. Uh, chapters written for the short selling at all. And I do indicate in this uh, the act of the naked short selling which many, uh, as I said before, scalping and spooping, all these things are all done, all described in the the book. And the the method also, just what I had spoken, how to advance your portfolios and how to do it. And I do mention exactly what I just said, not trading, absolutely, because uh, I know that many people laugh, but basically speaking, uh, trading is a vehicle for the brokerage firms or for the uh, 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 hedge fund peoples uh, to make money. And so yeah. uh, they make more commission by selling uh, options to the individuals. And most of the options, as you know, they are, uh, they are time essence, and many of them go to the subject to zero before they're making any process. The only way that they can really make money off of it is very much like the trading stocks. By trading that options, within the term expiring time. Well, I'm uh, you know, fascinated with the shorting and pairing it off with the long for a longer term transaction. And I could see how in a, in a positive year, or let's say a rough year like last year, we had a interesting short positive contributory. But what about a year like 2021 when the markets were you know, pretty much on a tear? Uh, well, that was a successful thing because as I indicated, when we took the proceeds from selling the shorts of those companies that we thought they don't have the potential to go up higher so much, 
let's assume uh, that you sure as a big cap companies and you got $100,000 of that short selling amount and you put $100,000 in a stock of the innovative companies that almost tripled and quadrupled during the time that you were holding the shorts. So that's the intent. Uh, The intent wasn't to just make two points because the stock fell down and then you covered it. It wasn't the things. So that's what I said that sometimes in some portfolios, even right now, we have shorts that are two years or three years old. So that that three times earnings or three hundred dollars, three times. Let's say he made uh, two, three hundred dollars, two, three hundred thousand dollars, is enough to pay off for the fees that the lender will give you, and also the interest charges that they charge you for holding the short. It's basically, so basically, you're selling short something that's relatively low volatility, and you're buying stuff that's got a relatively you know, high multiple. So when, when things go well, it goes extremely well, and, and that low vol thing doesn't go anywhere. So it's essentially your, your, your phantom cost of borrowing is just whatever it is for your short, for the cost of the shorting, in, in a sense. That, that, that's correct. Like the, in our, yeah, in other words, you want to make sure that what you're shorting is not being acquired. It's not volatile to be squeezed because don't, don't forget, that's why the short sellers lose money. They go sh- sell something that has a very uh, volatilities of uh, 10%, 30% or 40% a day. And there comes a time that they cannot, uh, they cannot uh, co- cover the short because there is nothing in there. So they will, they will be losing money, as they ca- call themselves, as uh, indefinitely. But you don't want to short low numbers of the shares and high volatility. You want to short something with a large amount of the shares outstanding and has no interest of the, or at least no p- potential positions of takeover. And of course, if they do take over, you're not going to be losing as much. But you have to be very careful what you divert it to. So you want yeah. to divert it to a company that has potential for the success or innovations in hand. It's, it's amazing thinking in my mind because on the one hand you you're looking for this low volatility, do nothing, go nowhere, kind of boring company that you're going to sell short. And on the other hand, you have to look for this, you know, high growth, high return. It's so it's it's, a, it's amazing to me to have that kind of capacity to be able to look at each one and put it in its respective box and then trade it accordingly. I think that's a very innovative thought process that is not something we've we've heard much about. So it's really refreshing to hear different perspective on how to trade the market, you know, looking and categorizing each asset class and maximizing the way to extract return from each side of it while blending it together into one. Now, that's really cool. So, and, and in your more traditional stuff where you can't short, as you were saying earlier, then you're just going to use indexes or what have you, or mutual funds if need be, if it's a 401k. Uh, indexes to shorts uh, like ETFs, they don't have the potential of the return of the money to get from. In other words, they're sort of a limited in their extent of the move. Uh, let's assume ETFs is $100, that ETFs could fall down the best to 80 maybe. Uh, yeah. so unless you have a, a 2008 situation where, where the structures heavily lost because ETFs are sort of a compact numbers of the positions and they don't have an ownership name. Is an ETF's name, yeah. like it's not Google, for example, or it's not uh, 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 Apple that do have. Even Apple falls down, 
but you still have Apple in your hands. When the ETFs falls down, you just have an ETFs, not not yeah. a company. And I think you 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 had expressed uh, uh, very well down down points. Uh, that was experienced terribly in the 2008 dilemma on that regard with the ETFs. Now, there was something else that I wanted to add. Now, the industry, the hedge funds, uh, the institutions, all of that, they use what they call protections by buying options, which which is really throwing, they're calling it insurance, <laughs> but that's that's only good in a social market. But when you have a market volatile, as we have been having, you just lose that pop, that money that you have put on for protection because it's a time essence. So, so that's why our method, I think, in my in my judgment, to sell for the long term, just be caps. You limit it to certain amount of the loss in case if your diversion to the growth stocks fails to achieve what you have been looking for. Well, there's definitely, you know, a world full of investment options and your your firm is out there in an area that's not the common road for most in, in advisors to you know, get behind and recommend. Have you thought about um, doing this for other advisors or you specifically don't want to look at doing that? Well, there's no such word as never. I, I just have not seen a relevancy to higher grounds at this moment. The type of the market that we see right now, I think it proves our method as well. Now, it's very possible when the market turns up and it turns around, and it will turn on because nothing goes on down, just like we went through the inflation era of the 70s. Then we had the roaring 80s, after all. And uh, the same thing is in the dilemmas of that. Uh, one thing that I wanted to, to make sure, the market not justified to keep on going up. You always have enormous headwinds as coming in, either geopolitical or financials or uh, some other aspects that may be facing the market as a whole, because right now we have enormous numbers of the of the exchanges in the world that we did not have before. So it's important for the I think average uh, clients to think heavily about the method that we are right now used to, which is has been enhanced by the computers and of course uh, the internet. And also, the entrants are much more widely and worldly than they were 20 or 30 years ago. Interesting. Well, is there anything uh, that you can think of that we haven't asked you or discussed yet? No, I think I've done very well. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it very much. Yeah, exactly. Well, we created the podcast so that we could have discussions with different advisors, different you know, approaches, different risk metrics. And so you've certainly brought this to our attention today. And uh, Bernard and Joseph, happy to have you with us. And I think we can wrap it up and call it a day. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This interview also may contain statements that constitute endorsements of measured risk portfolios, also known as MRP. Please note that any such statements are not made by clients of MRP, but by representatives of other investment advisory firms that work with MRP. No compensation was offered or given in exchange for these statements. However, a conflict of interest exists due to the incentive to give an endorsement in the interest of a good future working relationship between the endorser and MRP.